Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Party, the supernatural rewatch podcast with a D&D homebrew twist brought to you by the Gimme to Loot podcast, the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast that has a Patreon now. If you're hearing this shortly after it was recorded, it's because you are one of those Patreon supporters who takes the time and effort and cash to invest in our show so that we can produce bigger, better content. And to thank you for that, we watched one of the worst episodes of Supernatural ever and brought in Moyle Mossberg for his very first appearance on The Hunter's Party. Moyle, how are you? Doing swell. How's everyone else? Uh, great. <laughs> Joining Moyle is... Jamie, who plays Eldrin on Gimme the Loot, and uh, you could just think of me as the Jensen Ackles of the Gimme the Loot podcast. Wow. That's a big swing. That is a big <laughs> fucking swing. Uh, and I am Anthony, who plays Baba on Give Me the Loop. You know, at some point, we're going to do a live show, and your your ass is going to have to cash that check for the record. <laughs> we, we, will, we will check to whether or not you can meet the Ackles-ass ratio as previously published on the podcast. So cool. All right. So we are uh, talking about bugs this week, uh, which is definitely an episode of the of the show <laughs> it, sure is. it is absolutely considered to be one of the least favorite among fans eric kripke the show's creator and one of the primary writers himself stated that he didn't like this episode many have criticized it for inconsistent editing including a scene where a sunrise occurs for an impossible length of time so so much so that there is a uh, a character that shows up later in the show that is privy to the entire universe as a writer and he even goes back and he references this show and apologizes for how bad he wrote this script for this show in the universe so god apologizes for this episode later on in the canon of supernatural <laughs> which honestly is it terrible terrible i would say no but it's definitely it definitely needs some work uh so uh, on that note let's go ahead and jump into it we open in a residential neighborhood largely under construction in the fictional town of Oasis Plains, Oklahoma. We pan across a pickup for a gas and power company, and we see a couple of workers. One's marking the lot out. The other has got a shovel. They chat about how nice the place it is and how pricey it is. We start to hear some rumbling, and the gas and power guy looks just a little bit worried. Dustin, who is our gas and power guy, falls into a hole that opens up, says he's trapped with a broken ankle. Worker number two goes to get a rope. We see bugs crawling out onto Dustin. Dustin yells for Travis, who was worker number two, to help. Um, and by the time Travis gets back with the rope, Dustin is dead. The dude, when he's like feeling the ground, like, <laughs> and the other guy just said no clue. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. There's some really weird characterization with Travis. And I'm going to touch on that the second time we, we, we see him later in the show. But yeah. A little slow. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not sure if the actor was intentionally playing him that way or not. It's really, really, really weird. So again, this is another one that sent me down wiki wormhole right from the very beginning because it's the fictional town of Oasis Plains, Oklahoma. And I was like, well, why the fuck is it the fictional town? Why not just use a real town in Oklahoma? And there's, re I really couldn't find a definitive answer other than shows do that from time to time from anywhere because they want to have their own world building that this, this is something they may want to establish and work into the lore later on to not wanting to defame an area like if, if like in a show like Supernatural where mm. this area is cursed they potentially attract negative attention for 
for throwing an area under the bus. Although I'm, I, I find it hard to believe there's a whole lot of people in small towns in Oklahoma that are going to get up in arms for hearing that bugs are getting them. <laughs> Some of the notes I got here is Travis, worker number two, doesn't have a fucking feel the tremors. Yeah. Like the one dude is like, I getting real nervous about him. The other dude, completely clueless, pining for suburban life. And then when our boy Dustin is down in the hole, those had to be the least fucking threatening bugs ever. And I understand this is very, although there is some really hellaciously bad CGI later in this. And this is, you know, 15 years ago when we don't have a ton of, of budget for special effects in the CW. It was like, it wasn't the hissing cockroaches, although they'll make an appearance this episode. It was like really super harmless beat looking beetles. And I was like, what, yes. what the, what the fuck is this? There's a lot of them though. There was a lot. But what are they going to do? Like crawl in your nose <laughs> and your, your mouth? And well, maybe that's, that's it. I that's, guess. <laughs> we, we do get an autopsy scene and we'll talk about how he's killed. And that alludes to those weird hmm. red eyes. Like that was like yeah. the extent of the makeup that they did. But when they've got him in there, like you can tell they showed the scene of them crawling on him. And then like when he's dead at the end where they've got him all piled on him, all kind of weird. It's just like. Like they had like a bucket of bugs and just kind of tossed them on them like from a bait shop. Yeah. Bring in the bugs. <laughs> it's not a very well-staged scene, although I will say deck save fail. Definite, absolute yeah. dexterity saving throw fail by old Dustin. Oh yeah. And that one too, because he broke his ankle. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like- <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that hole couldn't have been more than 10, 15 feet. So really quickly, the guys who play this, Travis Weaver, the guy who acts like he's a little bit clueless, is played by Ryan Robbins, who's actually a sci-fi and fantasy show genre mainstay. Like he's in all of these goddamn Canadian produced shows, including Riverdale, Van Helsing, Arrow, Continuum. When we were talking to Christian earlier, you guys heard me talk about Continuum. He is a main character in the third or fourth series arcs with that. He has just been in so much stuff. When I saw that guy, I'm like, I know him from somewhere. And, uh, and then I saw the IMDb like, oh. I know him from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know him from like five or six, six. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost Wars, Van Helsing, The Magicians, Arrow as Conklin. Watched all of Arrow. I don't remember who Conklin was. He's in nine episodes of Arrow. He's got an X-Files credit. Continuum, he was Brad Tonkin. So he's played a character named Brad Tonkin and a character named Conklin. Coincidence? I think not. Hmm. Falling Skies, which I've never watched, which is probably on my next bad sci-fi to play in the background now that I've ground through the 4400 while I edit. <laughs> Falling Skies, he was on for two years, 21 episodes. I mean, this guy has just been in a ton of stuff and it's Mortal Kombat Legacy. He played Raiden in fucking Mortal Kombat Legacy, the TV series short. There's a Mortal Kombat series? I thought there was just a movie. Yeah, it was like a web series or something, right? Yeah, there's. well, there was an old TV series. There's an old one, yeah. It used to be on TBS. Yeah, if you think back to the days of yeah Hercules and the legendary Journeys era of television. Which came after Xena Warrior Princess. Xena is a spinoff of Hercules. Right. That's not how I saw it. Well, you, you were wrong. Hercules originally was movies, like TV movies, and then that spun off to a TV series, which then spun off because Xena originally appeared as a villain in Hercules hmm. and then was spun off to her own TV series. And so, and that the success of those Saban Entertainment weird B movie TV series spawned a whole bunch of copycats, and one of them was a Mortal Kombat one, which we've had some other crossover. The one guy that was in Daredevil was in was in one of those the doppel the doppelganger episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ben Affleck. Uh, no, Ben Affleck. 
and it's pronounced Ben Affleck. Wrong Daredevil. No, wrong Mortal Kombat series. The one he, this guy was in was the web series that was like kind of the edgier, grittier web series mm-hmm. that actually triggered the investment for the crappy Mortal Kombat movie that came out recently. So we kind of have him to blame. For- Ten years in the making. <laughs> he's a good actor and he's done a lot of work. But man, this is not not so good. Not so good in this. I blame the script. Uh, and then the other guy, <laughs> Dustin, who falls down in the hole is Dustin Burwash has just done a tremendous amount of voice acting. Wait, Wait did he play himself? Uh, I think I just wrote his name down wrong. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. I was like, did, did his, is his actual name Dustin? Michael Dangerfield is his real name. He is playing <laughs> Dustin Burwash. Because whenever you, uh, whenever your name yeah. in the character is the same in real life you think maybe he did play the character to the best of his maybe this is it yeah. you know maybe he really was clueless i was an oil and gas guy and they asked me to come on supernatural Radio. no i'm sorry his real name is michael dangerfield it hasn't been done a ton of live action but holy shit the amount of voiceover work this guy has done hmm. including lego marvel avengers the hollow which is a surprisingly good animated series on netflix my daughter watched that he's on the dragon prince he plays ellis's father and the dragon prince just his voiceover, Polly Pocket, Andrew, Puzzle Fighter. What's Polly Pocket? It's a cartoon based off of a girl's little tiny toy. Oh, you said it like I would know it. That was the joke. That was, thank God. <laughs> I didn't even get the dragons. What was it, Layer? Dragon Dragon Prince? Yeah, I didn't get that one. Yeah, that's another surprisingly good Netflix animated show. Really good. A ton of the like Ninjago, all the uh, all the Lego voiceover stuff, Lego Star Wars, Arrow. He was Ned Foster, Iron Man, Armored Adventures. He plays a couple of villains, Smallville, Inuyasha, the final act, huh. plays Seshumaru. Am I getting that wrong, Andrew? Seshomaru. Seshomaru. There we go. It's always interesting when they change the. Uh voice actors for a movie. Yeah, because that was a character that was in the whole series, right? <laughs> yeah, Inuyasha is the main character in the series. Mm-hmm. and But this is like true for a lot of anime movies where they'll get, uh, at least for the, the dubbed versions, I'm thinking to myself, they couldn't get, like they got, they had the voice actor for a hundred plus episodes, but they couldn't get him for another two hours <laughs> or whatever they needed him for for just the movie because I don't anime movies usually don't run more than 90 minutes anyways he played Ace Ventura in the animated Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Oh, man. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, I forgot it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He played Wheeljack, one of my favorite Transformers in Transformers Armada. He would show back up in Transformers Energon as Inferno and Roadblock. The depth of this dude's voice acting career is ridiculous. And then he is Dr. Ellsworth, the 4400. But most importantly, right off the rip, three minutes in. The L word? He was on the L word as talk show host. So we are eight for eight wow. in our L word veterans in the first season of Supernatural. And I am more convinced that we will not break this streak. <laughs> I am. I think we're going to make it through at least the first season with an L word veteran every episode. I am really excited to see uh, Dynasty Warriors Gundam 3. So yeah, just a, a ton of stuff uh, for this guy. Gundam, he's in Gundam 3? Uh, Dynasty Warriors Gundam 3. The video game. Video, oh, it's the video game. Oh, Leapfrog, Letter Factory Adventures, the Letter Machine Rescue Team. I mean, this guy, uh, the Ninjago stuff, uh, the Lego stuff, once he got into that Lego money, uh, I'm sure he's doing okay because that stuff is 
like they did so many of those and that is that is stuff that gets it gets played and relicensed my daughter watches those too yeah my son my son was really big into the the ninjago stuff for a while so we cut to a roadhouse and uh sammy reading a paper that says that a, there is a local death that's a mystery dean comes out with a wad of cash and sammy chides him for hus- hustling pool oh my god dean says hunting is their day job bitches about how they were raised we learned that the gas guy died from mad cow disease that he got from the Beatles, Dean mentions Oprah and Sam busts his balls for it before they head out. Sam is like the ultimate wet blanket in this season. He's just so terrible. He, oh, you hustling pool. Like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) that's what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be the straight arrow. I, I know, but like, he's just, oh God, he's so unlikable. You learn more about why that is as this episode progresses. He's a soft college boy while uh, Dean was out there learning how to bow hunt. Just the idea of like, hey, man, I know we've been on this uh, paranormal wild adventure. Maybe we should get a day like the date. Let's get. Did you ever think about getting a J job? It's like, fuck you, Sam, because (laughs) cross country like (laughs) Yeah, it just it's just a fucking day would have been like it would have been one thing if he'd been like, hey, have you ever thought about maybe settling down and getting a normal career? He's like, have you ever thought about joining the soul-crushing grind of uh, administrative temp work. I mean, I feel like that would be a lot more rewarding than you hustling pool, banging random waitresses, and killing vampires, Dean. Fuck fuck you, Sam. You're the worst. (laughs) Also, shouldn't Sam be more gung-ho about that? I mean, his girlfriend was just killed. He should be, like, reevaluating and changing his lifestyle. He's like... All right, no more long-term relationships. Clearly, that's what the devil's after. They took my mom. They took my girlfriend. I'm going to do like uh, Dean. I'm just going to, you know, move like water. Takes him so long to get there. Like... (laughs) Yeah, he's the fucking he's the fucking worst. No, so now we get the Mad Cow reference, aka Kreutzfeld Jacob disease, also known as subacute spongiform encephalopathy or neurocognitive disorder due to prion disease. Uh, which is a fatal degenerative brain disorder. Early symptoms include memory problems, behavioral changes, poor coordination, and visual disturbances. And I'm not sure if they think he's got that because there's all these holes in his brain because the Beatles tunneled through his brain. Right. <laughs> is that is that what we're supposed to take away from that? Because they definitely established that it wasn't truly Mad Cow because that... It take, yeah, too fast. Yeah, well, it takes a little bit of time to build up. Yeah, it take months is what the Sam said. And and this he, he died right away from it. Although 70% of people die within a year of the diagnosis. I'm trying to think, it's named after... It was named after a really bitchin' cow is what it was named after neurologist Hans Gerhard Kreutzfeld and Alphonse Maria Jacob, uh, which are in fact the villains in the next Die Hard movie. <laughs> so, do you guys got anything else for the Roadhouse scene? They did the classic trope. I thought it kind of was like Men in Black, although they do this in every episode where he's looking at the local newspaper and it's like, uh, this is where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> look at the obituaries and look at, uh, you know, whatever weird stuff is in the news. Yeah, they lean into the weird deaths uh, as being clues for cases pretty heavily in the earlier seasons. They get 
there are some things that kind of come in later on. And Andrew, I'm sorry, I don't, you don't have a ton of experience with Supernatural, right? I don't. No, I've, uh, I have not. And I'd like to assume that the audience hasn't either. And they're just enjoying it with you. Okay. Good assumption. <laughs> just kidding. We normally try not to spoil a whole lot of stuff because Jazz hasn't watched it. So I just, before I, if you were somebody who had watched a lot of it, I would be a little bit more, a little bit less cloudy, but there are some things that pop up that get them away from having to use the newspaper trope. But you're absolutely right. That is very, very uh, similarly done in Men in Black with with the tabloids uh, as well. So, But on top of that, they, in Men in Black, they do that at the beginning. Yeah. Also, like, I'm pretty sure that was one of the earliest scenes. It's like, uh, yeah. What was Will Smith's character? J and M? Was that it? K. So we uh, we cut to the guys getting out at the gas and power company to talk to Travis. They introduce themselves as Dustin's nephews and sweet talk Travis a little bit. Travis gives them the lowdown on the bleeding eyes uh, and confirm that he had no prior symptoms, thus disqualifying Mad Cow as the actual cause. It did not take much for them to convince him that they were his nephews. Like, I don't know if he had nephews. And immediately it's just like, oh, yeah, but he's talked so great about you. And oh, OK. And like, that's it. Hey, the, these charisma rules have always been good, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's exactly what I have is persuasion pass like it is uh, pretty, pretty successful here. And I mean, again, the way especially he plays Travis here and earlier, I don't know if he was going for him being simple or naive. It's a really weird energy. Like when they talk about how uh, the guy who died always talked about how much he liked his friends, Travis, like he gets a he's like, really? Tell me about the rabbits. Like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's a really weird characterization for such a bit character in such a short bubble. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that was a choice or just some really weird acting. I think it was a really poor direction because I don't know what sequence it was filmed in, but to be like, nah, you can only feel the tremors within two feet. <laughs> Anything past that line, mm, yeah. you'll be totally oblivious to it. And then, you know, then the guy's like, oh yeah, talk more about me. Yeah, this the, I, the, the directing in this is pretty heavily criticized. This was directed by uh, Kim Manners, uh, who was a big director for the series. Um, he and he's got a ton of other directing credits. He did a bunch of X Files. Um, he did eighteen. He did sixty episodes as an executive producer on Supernatural, uh, and then co-executive producer another eighteen episodes. Um, he directed seventeen episodes. I'm sorry, he was a producer on about seventy episodes. He directed about seventeen fifty-one episodes of the X. So I mean, directed some episodes of Mantis, um, The Adventures of Briscoe County. Seven episodes. So the director's got some directing chops. I think it's part of its budgetary and. And even potentially some some editing. Yeah, the editing must have been bad or something because it's just so disjointed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, really, really weird from a production standpoint. So the guys roll up to the subdivision. They get out, look in the hole and flip a coin to see who goes down. That's a very short synopsis for the scene, but there's not a whole lot else other than. Well, the thing that I was like really confused about is like, so there's this giant 15 foot hole. And the only thing that's protecting this hole is like two pieces of police tape. And they thought that was sufficient to keep children, you know, other people from falling in the hole. I don't know. 
just seemed really weird. <laughs> not just not just that, Jamie, but there was a uh, thing of rope right next to the hole that they immediately grabbed. As if to, as if to say, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, get down there. Yeah. The whole, yeah, this is yeah. a ride in the fun park. <laughs> yes. So clearly there's not a fucking hole. Yeah. And that's why that's cut that way with just that little bit of shit. Like, and even with the, when you see him like, because, yes, there's that rope, but they go and get a hose. <laughs> yeah. Dean goes and gets a fucking hose. And you're like, wait a minute. You guys have got a motherfucking grenade launcher <laughs> in the back of that goddamn car. I know you just killed a shapeshifter who had more rope <laughs> than any one normal fucking human being should ever have. You tell me you didn't loot that motherfucker and take a couple of those mm. coils of rope with you that you had to go grab the garden hose. And then, uh, you know, they go to flip a coin. Sam grabs the coin to push back on Dean for... Uh, uh, shaming him, uh, but then we don't even see him kind of go down into the hole after that. It's like what the what? Yeah, it was a weird cut. Like, man, just talk about it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, then we we they're back in the car after that, and they're talking about the Beatles. Like again, yeah, we're like okay, there's no hole. We don't want to send him back to that sound stage where we had the other dude where we threw the dead uh, the dead bait on him. So we're just going to cut to the car and like Sam's <laughs> holding a beetle and they're talking about the beetles that they found. Decide they need more details on the area. Uh, Dean spots an event at a model home, mentions free food. So they head in uh, and Dean says growing up in suburbia would freak him out, uh, which uh, the two things I've got on this is one nature check pass on the beetles that uh, that they would be harmful. And they did grow up in fucking suburbia yeah. like that house that they were in before their mom burst into flames was suburban. And like, yeah, Sammy was a baby, but Dean was like a a couple, like six years old, I think we established, or four years old at that point. Yeah, he's six, something like that. That's not very, that's not that old. And and yeah, your mom got killed in suburbia. Why would you want to go back there, Turner? That doesn't make sense. Well, nobody said, the point is he's saying he, growing up and it would freak him out and my point is that they did grow up in suburb at least dean did for a little bit but i I could see how if you were you know your first five or six years you're in suburbia and then the rest of it you're out fighting monsters and on the road you can consider yourself not having grown up yeah no no yeah (laughs) no yeah no i no i get it Uh, yeah no i get it like my brother uh my brother and i moved out to texas um he was probably seven or eight so he sees himself as being more from texas than from being from florida right but uh but still it was just a weird thing it's like dude this show starts off with you in a house (laughs) in suburbia like like, and you guys go back to that a couple of times so don't uh, you know (laughs) and again it's just it's again the heavy-handed writing in this episode about you know dean constantly leaning into oh the way that we were raised the trauma like there's some really heavy like Oh, we were raised in such a weird way dialogue in this, um, especially as the conflict that plays out in between Sam and Dean later on when we get the other kid who shows up. But we'll get into that when it comes up. I was also annoyed that Sam was like trying to get on on Dean about trying to get some free food. Like they don't have jobs. He tries to get worst, money dude. from hustling pool. Yeah. And he's then he's like, all right, well, I'll get us some free food, like free barbecue, man. And he's like, fuck you. Like he's the worst. No, he is, he is <laughs> he's le- legit the worst. Legit the worst. He's lawful good right now. Which which I have a tendency to be the worst. (laughs) Yeah, yes. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So the uh, the guys meet Larry. They tell him they're interested in the place. Larry assumes that they're gay. The guys point out that they're brothers. Larry is actually the developer and is giving the guys the hard sell. He's moved his family into the area. Uh, he introduces his wife and then Linda, the head of sales, who also assumes that Sam or Dean are gay. 
Dean leans into it and calls Sam honey before walking off. Again, part of the har-har, you're gay of early Supernatural that has not super aged well, even when they are attempting to be pro-LGBTQ by saying, oh, we we accept families of all orientation in this community. It's like, you know, there are dudes who travel and live together that aren't gay. It is really weird that that's your first assumption. Yeah. But I will say, everything else about that whole open house event, they do fucking nail. For all the other problems about this, <laughs> as somebody who was in the residential home, Billy, Linda's fucking outfit and her characterization is about spot on as head residential sales lady as you can fucking get. And the whole barbecue and the cheap burgers in the backyard and hot dogs, like there are so many of those fucking things that I had to go through and check in with superintendents when I was in that business. Uh, not the sales side, but on the, the contracting side. I was like, okay, well, credit where credit's due. They got that one down. Although the developers never fucking live in the build <laughs> the <laughs> neighborhoods they build because they're it's a completely different financial situation. Yeah, I would say they probably they usually can't afford to like the <laughs> they may not uh, like the the construction workers at the beginning can't afford to live here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And hey, that is a, that, again, I'm sure that was just a, a, a real subdivision that was under construction that they filmed on location on. But that is such that, God, that look, man, I've spent so many hours walking through those subdivisions in various, where the houses are in various stages of construction and there's no fucking grass and it's all a tan and brown. And it's like, oh God, that took me back to, uh, to my, my early career in residential construction. Larry is played by Andrew Arley. Again, another really hardcore working actor, another L word veteran. He uh, plays a big part on the new Nancy Drew reboot. He reappears on Supernatural a second time. He's one of our two repeat players for this episode. Ironically, so does the lady who plays his wife, who, huh. when they both reappear in a later episode, play husband and wife again. That's funny. So uh, it's particularly weird. Uh, Linda is played by Carrie Genzel. Again, another ton of credits. Uh, she was on Bold and the Beautiful and a bunch of other soaps. When she shows back up on Supernatural a second time, plays a different Linda. <laughs> so we've got a husband and wife that show up on Supernatural in the later season playing a husband and wife again, and a Linda that shows up as a different Linda later on. It's spelled with an I the second oh. time, spelled with a Y the first time. Joni Pike plays the wife. Again, tons of credits. Uh, Earth Final Conflict is probably one of her other big one. And then the, the supernatural repeat appearance. So then we skip forward. Larry is giving Dean a walkthrough. Dean spots a bug in a jar. And we discover that Larry's son is into insects. Larry's son is probably the most recognizable actor out of this bunch. Yep. Because he plays the meth head from Letterkenny. Stuart! Uh, he plays Stuart. Um, he also shows back up as an angel later on in Supernatural. Spoilers. And Elward veteran. So crammed full of them this time. Yeah. I, like I when I saw that, I was like, oh shit, it's Stuart. Holy yeah. fuck. <laughs> and uh Letter Kenny, I like I made the mistake of binge watching it all at once after I stumbled onto it. And that's definitely is something that needs to be paced out because it's so fucking repetitive. It's a sipper, yeah. Don't yeah. <laughs> what's what's funny, man, is my wife tried to get our son to watch the Mighty Ducks series on Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. And the dude that plays the evil hockey coach in that is the blonde hockey bro from Letter Kenny. Oh no. And I'm like, <laughs> what? This is they didn't even try and not make him a hockey bro. He plays like the evil coach version of the hockey bro oh, the from Letter Kenny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I just this is so fucking bizarre. I can't I can't get over how weird it is. Think about being typecast going forward as hockey hockey guy. <laughs> 
We're back getting the hard sell from Linda. Sam spots a tarantula and picks it up and gives it back to the son, uh, whose name is Matthew. Matthew talks to Sam about how his dad sucks. Larry comes out and apologizes for the insect and gives uh, his son a hard time. Sam says Larry's a shitty dad and moans about uh, how their dad would always give him a hard time. And Dean downloads that there was a previous death in the area from bee stings. Fucking Sam. Like, just crying about dad once again yeah this is all daddy issues all the time yeah. this episode it's now it's non-stop <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a note on here and i don't remember exactly but soccer versus bow hunting <laughs> like i'll tell you sam bow hunting's the better of the two like <laughs> you know if my son was like hey dad I'd, I'd like to bow hunt or i'd like to play soccer but i've only got to pick one i'm gonna go with bow hunting every single time you know what i mean <laughs> and i'm not i'm not super pro hunting but I do believe you should cultivate skills which are useful after the cl- imminent collapse of civilization. And you're not going to catch a lot of food with a fucking soccer ball. That's all I'm saying. So, But yes, Sam is the worst. We flip back to the guys in the car as they run through some theories. They throw out ghosts, elementals, telepaths, really grasping at fucking straws. Dean thinks the sun may be linked to the case. Dean pulls into a house. Sam acts like, what the fuck are they doing? And put off that uh, Dean wants to squat in an empty house instead of sleeping in the car. Because again, Sam's the fucking worst. Gotta try that steam shower. Yeah. He was super stoked about it. (laughs) Which is complete bullshit because the water is typically on in those houses. Yeah. The electricity is very, very rarely on unless it's a spec home. Well, hold on. We know the gas very well might be set up. That's true. The gas is, yeah. Oh, because the, the gas, the gas, the gas is, yeah. in the beginning. But uh, were the lights on at some point? Or no, <sighs> they may not have electricity. Like if it's a, no, they, they turn if it's a spec house that they're showing later, there's a slight chance. But I was like, man, I don't know that all this should, but you're right, Andrew, there is a gas guy earlier. So we very well know the gas is set up. Um, they make a Willard reference, which is a throwback to a movie where a, a social misfit controls rats to do his bidding. But that's, I mean, again, we're, we're blazing through this episode and there's, there really hasn't been a whole lot, a uh, whole lot of anything really yet at this point. But now we cut to Linda at home uh, watching the news, talking about they're spraying in the area for West Nile mosquitoes. Ah, the days when West <laughs> Nile was the biggest fucking health issue that we had to worry about. <laughs> Better days. Uh, a spider crawls across Linda. Uh, she goes in the shower. Spiders shoot out of the shower and she panics and crashes through the glass, crawls a bit forward and then dies as spiders crawl over. I had a problem with the first spider. I would have, I would have reacted. Oh fuck yeah, dude! Way more terrifying. I would have just been like, burn this house down, <laughs> kill it with fire. It came. I just came out of her hair. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't. It wasn't like it, it was from the bed or whatever. Like there was some time where she could have felt something and be like, oh. Maybe it's nothing. No, it came out of her forehead. It came out of her scalp. Yeah, she just flicks it off. Like, like there's nobody who doesn't have that visceral reaction to it. <laughs> like, it's just like. Also, before that, the kid at the party had to try to get her with the tarantula, which implies that she would have been petrified yep, yep. by spiders. And yet, she's brushing this off like it's just any other bug. If it was a cockroach, I'd freak out. I let alone a spider. And a spider is a few tiers above cockroaches. Indeed it is. So we get some total 70s style animated CGI. I don't even want to call it CGI, but it looks like they did the, the 70 Disney's drawing on the film yeah. as these spiders pour out of the shower head. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, we really made some compromises on this. And I think I know why they had to do that budget wise when we get into the later scenes. And I'll talk about that when we get there. But I was just like, like, we've had some 
you know, less than ideal special effects at this point, but this is the worst out of the entire series to date for quality of special effects. And did the spiders kill her or did the glass, jumping through the glass kill her? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, just, did, what you... No, it was, a, it was a similar situation as the, the falling down the hole. Yeah. Because if you saw what was cut was her ankle. Okay. Just like what was broken in the hole was the dude's ankle. And then the bug of choice to the rest of the work. Okay. She died of fright. So, That's what so, so yeah. the jumping through the shower glass cut her up to where the spiders could finish, finish her, finish the job. So I, I didn't know if there was a thing to that. Like you need to have an open wound in order for the bugs to better tunnel in or something. Is that in, is that in there at all? No. I'm giving them way too much credit. You're putting way more thought into this, into the lore of this than they did. <laughs> this is just season one yeah. budget restrictions. That was all that was going on here. There's a practical effect that they try and do later that ends up, I think, soaking up all their budget. And we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, but yeah, that's I, I was like, did she just spaz out because of the spiders and jump through the glass and bleed out? Or did the spiders bite her to death? <laughs> because... I, I don't know. I think it's just like, the, if it is the spiders, why the fuck have her jump through the glass? You know what I mean? Yeah, they definitely just cut from, like, uh, I'm scared to, I'm dead on the floor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> call, call, bang, I'm dead. Yeah, it's like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> so, uh, the next day, the guys uh, roll out. Dean loves the steam shower. Uh, and, of course, <laughs> they do the tropey dude wearing a lady towel on his head. Mm -hmm. um, they roll up on Linda's house, see something going on. They question Larry and he tells them that Linda died and they're not sure why. Well, I'm pretty sure those giant fucking lacerations where she jumped through the shower glass might've had something to do with it, Larry. But the guys sneak in and where they sneak in is right on top of the tape outline of her body. <laughs> they find some dead spiders and they peg it on the kid and decide to drive over to Larry's house. Funny story. There was definitely like some blood like spots on the the outline right yeah, like they, yeah well was the was the outline in the right position anthony i know you usually run this back while we're recording these <laughs> and i could have sworn where she fell in the room in relation to the bed was a completely different spot when they pulled back and showed where these guys crawl because they literally crawl through the window yeah, on top me. of the her outline and i was like did they what the fuck is happening here um they do. I don't remember where she was. What confused me was that the that scene they mirror imaged it. They came in with the camera pointed at the at the mirror. That's what so it is. Then. Came, yeah. No, they came in. One of them came in the window, and then they flipped it fr from the right side, and then they flipped it so the other dude came in from the left side. And I was like, "Wait, did two people die?" And I not know. <laughs> like, are they gonna meet in two different rooms and be like, "We got another death"? <laughs> and then, and then the best part though was the reveal. And like before, it was like bugs. And it was like little beetles. And then this time, it was like, ah, it's those shitty plastic uh, Halloween spiders. Yeah, yeah. They were toys. Investigate Easy Pass. Investigate Easy Pass series. A lot of low, <laughs> a lot of low DCs this episode. Funny, uh, funny, funny story. I'm, I'm gonna say this real quick. We, when me and my wife were buying our first house, we went into a foreclosure that. In one of the upstairs room, I guess somebody had broke in, but like there was literally a chalk outline. <laughs> and there's some kids in like drawn on the floor. That's awesome, man. <laughs> like, that is, is so fucking random. awesome. Yeah. And it looked that just is like fucking this. great. 
that is hilarious, man. You're absolutely right, Andrew. The staging on this, I think, is what's throwing me off because it just it is really weird. It's like it's just a it feels like almost a different room from where we saw her die in just spatially when we look at it. So so this is uh, this is an extra discounted foreclosure then, right? Like we get the <laughs> we get the murder discount, right? <laughs> we get the Amityville fifteen percent, right? <laughs> so uh, the guys uh, are following the kid. They see him get off the bus and head into the woods. So the guys follow him. The uh, we see the kid start staring at a stick bug, pick it up, uh, jar it up. The guys go over and talk about Linda's death and talk about the spiders. Matt, who is the kid's name, catches on that they're accusing him. Pushes back that he was involved. Sam asks why he didn't tell his dad that something was up and we get some teen drama from Sam and Matt. Sam talks about running away to college. Dean pushes back that, sh- that he should stick with his family. Matt brings them to a clearing and reveals that insects are swarming here. Guys see a mound and go to investigate. There's a pile of worms that collapses and then Dean pokes around and pulls out a skull. Yeah, that was pretty obvious what was going to happen. I think I was yelling at the screen. I said, I bet there's a skull. Just go back to when he gets off the bus. It's like, okay, so two adult dudes are going to follow a young man into the wood and come up in their creeper voice with, Hey, Matt, remember me? How's it going? <laughs> Sick bugs, dude. Oh, hey. And Sam's creep voice is back in full fucking force for this. Then they go to that clearing and he's like, see what's going on with this clearing? What the fuck is he looking at? I'm like, is there something? Am I supposed to be seeing something? Is there supposed to be something swarming? Is this, is this a it's quiet, it's too quiet moment? But they're kind of standing around looking at the tree line for a moment. And I didn't see shit. Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And and then we get the 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 man. He's like, yeah, see, everything's going wrong with these insects. Earth, earth earthworms aren't insects. They're not. Yeah, it's not. They're not. They're <laughs> not. They're not bugs. They are not bugs. Not, not well, that's bugs. that's a that's a funny point because he said bugs in the beginning. Beginning. Yeah. And I think it was his dad that corrected him. It was like insects. Or something. Yeah, it's something. Because pro- obviously, because his son kept correcting him. <laughs> Yeah, they're not bugs. They're insects. <laughs> they're minerals. <laughs> this isn't being the whole fucking spiders or arachnids. They're not insects. Fucking pedantics. He's like, dude, those are those are earthworms. They're not even close to insects. It's like it's like, it's like a whole other whole other type of invertebrate. What did that skull seem small to anybody else too? Like it just seemed like such a weird like prop skull. Yeah, because he pal- palms it so easily. Uh, like Halloween <laughs> Hobby Lobby, not Hobby Lobby. Fuck Hobby Lobby. Those motherfuckers. But Michael's Michael's skull. <laughs> I've got a really weird picture from like. Uh, uh, going to because Michael's is actually a great place to get Halloween decorations and we went one year and they had one wall set up with just it looks like the fucking catacombs because it's all these different it's like skulls and leg bones and arm bones just all in a bin along this one big wall (laughs) so it's just like this four or five foot tall shelved pile of plastic bones human remains and I'm like this is unintentionally creepily cool good job good job Michael you're you're old enough to say MJ Designs you don't have to say Michael's oh my god yeah MJ Designs I remember remember MJ Designs (laughs) It's sad that I do. I've also made a Zales <laughs> reference, so I am, yeah, I am fucking absolutely old. Is Zales is still around though, right? The Zales in the little Florida town I grew up in was almost like a, a, a department store. Like I would go, they had, they carried different lines of toys than a lot of the other places. So if I wanted to go and get like, was it in humanoids? There was some, some other weird line of toys that they only had there next to certain- At a Zales? At a Zales. Yeah. It was like a- I thought they just sold diamonds. Well, that's just the thing. It's like, this one was like, a, it was originally that jewelry store, but it was, because it had even the diamond and the logo, but it was like a full on department store before Walmart killed all that stuff. It was like a like back when Walgreens was like a like had a counter where you could get food and shit. That and service merchandise were the uh, artifacts. You, you guys are too young to remember service merchandise, right? Or I have never heard of it. No. 
I've never heard of it, but that might also be a local thing. Like it was a national chain that went out of business, um, and you, it, it was a store that you would go into, and it didn't have inventory on the shelves. <laughs> like it had like one of each item, and you would like write kind of like IT where you write down the tag number and then you go to the warehouse. Mm. It was like that, mm-hmm. except a department store, and you would go at the back, and they would. Like, it was a really fucking. I think the idea was it was supposed to be a more efficient labor model from warehousing and inventorying and stock and not having like any shrink, but it also took away the ability for people to shop and handle the shit that they wanted to fucking buy. So it ended up failing, but it was just such a weird experience. That's so weird. That doesn't sound like it would work on the sort of impulse buy. No, it, like, like I can see it works well with furniture because you can't, you you know, you have to buy boxes of the shit and put it together. But yeah, service merchandise uh, goes back to 1934. Was a uh, and then eventually went defunct in 2002. They were headquarters in Tennessee. The company lost market share in its housewares and electronic sectors to giant discounters such as Walmart and Bed Bath and Beyond, and later Best Buy and Circuit City. And I think originally they were just like a regular department store, but then they did that really fucking weird model of not having inventory out. Yeah, the showroom ordering process. Service merchandise had an unusual ordering process, which emphasized the catalog even within the showrooms. It was a catalog showroom approach, and then exactly, it was to reduce merchandise theft. But yeah, it also reduced people's ability to impulse buy or handle stuff before they went out, so... Weird chains of our youth. Anyway, moving on. Um, so the guys pull up to a college. Uh, they talk that there was a, a bunch of skeletons in the mound. Uh, they joust about uh, Sam ditching his family versus respecting their dad. We find out that the dad kicked him out when Sam got a full ride to college. Uh, and Dean tells him that dad was scared that something would happen to him and would frequently go and secretly guard Sam during college. Once again, reiterating that Sam is the worst, that he never called or made up with his dad and his dad was secretly watching over him that entire time. The professor who shows up in this, Jim Burns, uh, has done a ton of voiceover, including a bunch of work on G.I. Joe. Yeah, I think he's our other Transformer. Camp Candy, the short-lived animated show. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, back for G.I. Joe, uh, as it looks like probably the voiceover intro guy. Conan the Adventurer, the short-lived animated Conan series, where he played uh, Epididymitis, the sage. Double Dragon, King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, which was a really weird cartoon. The football ones, where they're football players. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, where they're football players who get turned into magical Knights of the Round Table. The show was awesome. It was, it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it was really weird. He played Merlin in that. So the guy who is the professor in this played Merlin on all 26 episodes. I said they had cool weapons and shit. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm reminiscing. Yeah. <laughs> they had those symbols that were like, yes. like their powers. Like one guy could build a wall. Another guy could like, yeah. like, like there was a weird late eighties, early nineties where it was the bro version of the anime magic girl, where they all had this transformation sequence where they had a special power after they transformed, <laughs> except in this case, instead of sailor moon, it was football players who turned into the Knights of the round table. Mm-hmm. Beast Wars, transformers, Inferno. Um, yeah, he was our other transformers, Robocop, the short-lived Robocop animated series, oh my God. beast machine transformers as thrust NASCAR racers, the short-lived animated NASCAR series, <laughs> Spider-Man unlimited, Stargate Infinity, which apparently was a animated version of Stargate, which I didn't even know existed. Plays Nick Fury in X-Men Evolution, which was a, a weirdly good X-Men go to high school series. That was a weird fucking take on that. 
The professor of anthropology reveals that they are tribal bones from a, a First Nation tribe. Uh, the professor refers them to the Yuchi tribe in Sepulpa. Now, the Yuchi is a real tribe here. They were in the 16th century. The Yuchi lived in the East Tennessee River Valley in Tennessee. And then they were moved to Alabama, Georgia and South Carolina, settling near Muscogee Creek. Now they actually do currently live in the Oklahoma area uh, where they are enrolled as the federally recognized Muscogee Nation. So real tribe here, also real city. He refers them to the Yuchi tribe over in, in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, which as opposed to the city that we start off on is a real city. Probably the most interesting fact of Sepulpa is that they were so shittily racist that when Obama won the election, the newspaper refused to publish that Barack Obama won as the president. Oh boy. They only reported that John McCain had won among the voters of their county. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, uh, which time? 2008, the Sepulpa Daily Herald gained national media attention in early November 2008 for not reporting that Barack Obama won, only reporting that John McCain had won in their county. <laughs> Critics charged that the omission related to racism, and the newspaper said it only reports on local news events, but had reported the results of every other previous presidential election prior to Barack Obama's victory. <clears throat> so, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> Which, again, I think maybe lends itself to the we don't want to cast a shadow on a, uh, a city by saying people were being killed by bugs there. But we absolutely do not give a fuck about this Sepulpa town because fuck those guys. So uh, that, <laughs> that was a weird fucking rabbit hole to go down to because of it. so the guys roll up and speak with an older First Nation gentleman playing a solitaire in a diner. Uh, they try to pose as students. Joe calls them out on their bullshit. Uh, Joe tells them that 200 years ago, the cavalry started a massacre during a day when the sun and moon share the sky as equals and then proceeded to massacre the tribe for six nights. The chief cursed the land so that no white man could live there again and that if they tried, nature would rise up uh, and it would take six days for the curse to run its course, at which point none would survive. Sam grocks that the night-day pattern is the equinox, that the curse is an annual occurrence, and that, in fact, tonight was the sixth night of that time frame. Dean says, you don't break a curse, you get out of its way, and then the guys peel out and head back to the homestead. I thought that was kind of lazy writing, yeah, because uh, that I feel like that's their job is to break curses and exercise and that sort of stuff. So to be like, uh, I'm just gonna let's leave it be. Yeah, spoiler alert, they break a lot of curses later on in this series. <laughs> yeah. Right? I feel like exercising is not that far from breaking a curse, no, but it's got different rules, so there are some other kind of bigger curses that they do break. Uh, exercising possession, they, they actually do have quite a bit of lore around in the series. Hexes and witchcraft have some very specific lore. In fact, that the lizard man shaman in the most recently published episode throws a hex bag at Baba to cast heat metal is a direct reference to the way that witches cast spells in this series, which I thought was really kind of a cool take on spell casting components and a cool way to kind of fit that in narratively. And if I ever get the opportunity to play a character that uses components, that's how I'm going to kind of dress it up as, as kind of a witchcraft thing. You're absolutely right, Andrew, that we don't break a curse. Uh, we just get out of the way was 
hey, we've got a big set piece we want to do, and this is why we would do it. The actor uh, who played Joe Whitetree was Jimmy Herman. Uh, he's got a ton of credits, uh, most notably uh, Dances with Wolves, and only mentioned here for reference, Skinwalkers, the Navajo Mysteries, which just because Skinwalkers gets name dropped so many fucking times in this goddamn <laughs> series is the only reason why I mentioned it. Oh, real quick throwback or, uh, before we go to the next scene. During uh, Linda's scene, before she gets spidered, the anchor woman who is talking about them spraying for West Nile mosquitoes is an actress called uh, Mi Young Lee, who is another pro-fink anchor woman. There's more than one? Do you, yeah, we had the guy. We had the other guy from the last <laughs> episode. She has... 22 acting credits and they are and again she started off as a regular news anchor but since 1996 her uh, uh, credits include doctor who news anchor sentinel tv reporter the associates devil newscaster number one uh medusa's child tv announcer number three the sixth day newscaster stargate sg1 reporter x2 x-men united news reporter uh the chris isaac show TV anchor, Supernatural, anchor woman, uh, X-Man, The Last Stand, newscaster, Snakes on a Plane. Oh, man. News anchor, uh, uh, The Invisible, newscaster, Hot Rod, newswoman, uh, Watchman, bomb test anchor woman, <laughs> Tron Legacy, Deborah Chung. I don't know why that's her. I don't, I don't know who Deborah Chung oh, is. Oh, man. Broke the streak. <laughs> Big time movie, newscaster, and Arrow, three or four episodes, including the pilot, anchorwoman, and TV news reporter. Really, being able to make a living being fake news anchor, uh, it's nice to see that that's not just one dude's random career, but appears to be a whole genre of working actors in the Canadian CW scene. Now I want to know if it's like a common like transition, like when you finish being an actual anchor, yeah. just moving into fake anchor anchoring. Like it's... <laughs> I think I think a lot of it has to do with the the, the so many of these shows are produced in Canada. Mm-hmm. Probably share production company. Probably share casting directors. I think it's I think it's telling that they they both started in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird that we've got two episodes almost in a row where there's a professional background anchor person. I wonder if they get paid more doing the uh, movie and TV anchor because they get like royalties and stuff for every. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they ha- they're guaranteed lines. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's just the thing is like when you look at a lot of these bit actors, the uncredited appearances where they don't have a line or they're just doing background, there's a significant pay difference between that and if they even have a single line of dialogue. Right. And you can't be a news anchor or news reporter without having at least one line. Right. So we cut to Matt in the backyard at night with a flashlight. He finds a hole. Uh, roaches come streaming out. Dean calls Larry and tells him there's a gas leak. Larry doesn't buy it. Sam calls the son. Sam tries to tell him to get out. Matt said his dad doesn't listen to him because daddy doesn't love me. Dean tells him to lie and say his appendix is bursting. Um, The guys roll up and the family is still home. Larry yells at them. We find out that the son didn't lie about his appendix. He told the truth because he tried to follow Sam's advice instead of Dean. We get some dad-son drama and curse denial. Dean hears buzzing and the bug sapper starts to go crazy, which was admittedly a nice fucking touch. (laughs) And then a huge swarm of insects start to head in and the guys run into the house. Dean's like attempt to to convince him that he is the dude that works for the guy. Like it just was so bad, bad idea, terrible idea. We were talking back to back deception fails, but with the, the First Nation gentleman. But then again, Larry just not not good mm. not uh, dean occasionally totally whiffs on the lie setups but they always try mm-hmm. <laughs> they they do they do to his credit the appendix plan would have worked perfectly mm-hmm. but the kid took sam's advice and it almost got him all fucking killed so learn your lesson kids don't be a sam <laughs> 
The bugs crawling out of the hole uh, were meant to be a jump scare, I guess, but it's the slowest moving swarm I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, it is our friend, the Madagascar hissing cockroach, which is just so frequently used because they are identifiable and big. Gross. And wingless. That's why you always see them. They're also completely fucking harmless. Although if you do eat them, raw cockroaches do contain a mild neurotoxin, which numbs the mouth and makes it difficult to swallow. I know that because in September 2006, Six Flags Great America oh, no. announced they would be granted unlimited line jumping privileges for all rides to anyone who could eat a live Madagascar hisking cockroach as part of their Halloween Fright Fest. Oh. Furthermore, if a contestant managed to beat the previous world record of eating 36 cockroaches in one minute, he would receive season passes for four people into the 2007 season. They ended the promotion in October 29th, 2006. And then in 2011, the Bronx Zoo has held a roach naming and gifting program themed for Valentine's Day, allowing their Madagascar hissing, hissing cockroaches to be named by benefactors. Funds raised are donated to the Wildlife Conservation Society. And yes, I will be looking into later to see exactly what the fuck is the Valentine's link between the Madagascar hissing cockroach and Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's probably that they're trying to draw people in and there are a lot of roaches. So they have the opportunity to give a lot of people the opportunity to name them and feel special. Yeah, those are actually Madagascar kissing cockroaches. Oh, see, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. There's there's the there's the joke. There it is. <laughs> Um, also, why does Sam have the the boy's number? <laughs> oh, no, that's the creep this was for. Oh, hey, buddy, remember me? And then he just dials that kid's number super fucking quick. Oh. Yeah, yeah, not uh, not good. He had Larry's number because he got Larry's card earlier. I'm sure mm -hmm. like, there's a reason for that. There's no but stranger danger reason for him to have the son's number. We established that the guys are the only ones in the neighborhood conveniently. They tell the, the mom to call 911. The phone lines are dead. The phone lines must have been chewed through. Dean wants to lock the place down and asks for towels. The power cuts out. Larry's cell can't get a signal due to the bug blanket. And the guys decide they have to try and outlast it. Yeah. It seems like sealing every hole for the for the bugs to get in would be a lot more effort than uh they they put into that with the towels <laughs> yes. yes dean gets two towels <laughs> and shoves them under the door like he's in a fucking dorm about to smoke a joint and then gives up and uh as anybody who is grown up in the post 9-11 era will tell you Duct tape, motherfucker. We have been educated that duct tape is what you use to seal up your windows in the event of a chemical attack. And them being in a model home area, I guarantee you they have duct tape around there fucking somewhere because they're hanging shit up all the time. Uh, it was a real, real boner move. I am confused why the bugs would specifically chew through the phone lines. Were they concerned <laughs> that they were going to call for reinforcements? I just, like, that was a weird fucking strategic. The, uh, they were worried that the cavalry might be mm. coming. <laughs> Particularly so. And bugs do that too. No, I know they do. I know they do. It was just, it was just a weird, like they got the phone lines because uh, they, they went for the phone lines first. And the electricity. Then the power. <laughs> and also, man, if you've, if like an inch or two inch layer of bugs can take out your cell signal, even 10 years ago, <laughs> that is shitty cell service. That is some fucking boost mobile, fucking early AT&T iPhone shitty service, man. 
It was it was cricket. Ah! <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Anthony wins the fucking episode. Oh. Fucking walks away with it. Jesus, sweet mother of God. Okay, uh, we could go home. I think we're done. <laughs> uh, fuck, fuck, brewing up a monster. <laughs> Dean run and grabs some bug spray. They hear uh, creaking and pinging coming down the fireplace. Bees pour out of the flue, which I don't know why they wasn't shut. Uh, Dean flamethrowers the beans with uh, the beans, the bees with bug spray, and then they run up into the attic. This, of course, is a callback to when Elburn was attacked by the bees for a whole five seconds. <laughs> And this swarm dispersed. You guys got so fucking lucky with those kobold inventors, man. I was so excited to get to use those guys, and they just totally fell the fuck down. <laughs> like, bees dispersed right away, threw the fucking acid pot on the guy that's resistant to acid damage. <laughs> just fucking, just all of it. Shitty, shitty, shitty. That's funny. Credit for them for them being like, really, you're getting the bug spray moment? Like, like that's going to make a fucking big difference <laughs> before he uh, flame throws it. So they're hiding out in the attic. Dust starts to fall down, and they realize termites are tunneling in. Uh, a hole pops open. A bees fly in. Dean sprays fire. They plug the hole up. More holes pop in, and there is some more ineffectual spraying. They're swarming and yelling and yelling and swarming and swarming and yelling. And the sun comes up, and the bugs bug out. I'm kind of impressed by the coordinated effort of the bugs at this point. That like they all were able to come together to try to uh, murder this family and and the Winchesters because you wouldn't think that a bee would normally just be like cool with working with a, a bunch of termites and it's, it's fucking weird. <laughs> it is the Looney Tunes fucking logic of those termites that are like yeah, tunneling yeah. through like just like a fucking buzzsaw through the wood where Dustin just followed it. <laughs> How fast can they go, really? Like, <laughs> super termites. There is some really questionable bee sound effects in there, too. I am pretty sure that there is the uh, the sound of a bee taking shit in there, which is uh, which is just like... <laughs> like, there's some really weird bee noises. So, earlier I said, come back to why they didn't have any money for the spiders. So, for this episode, they actually brought in uh, approximately 60,000 bees were used in the attic scene. So, yeah. So, they brought in a shit ton of bees, right? Put them in there. All the actors who worked around bees were given costumes with cuffs sewed on the inside of their pants and sleeves to prevent the insects from crawling up into their clothing. Um, it helped a little bit, but everybody still got stung by bees. Um, these are real bees featured in the episode. Jensen Ackles was the first one to get stung. Jared Padlecki famously uh, laughed his ass off that Dean got uh, stung first. And then shortly thereafter, Padlecki sat down and got stung literally on his ass. <laughs> so they pipe in all these bees. They make everybody go through that experience. The bees didn't show up on camera. They ended up having to go back and add in all those fucking bees with CGI because it just didn't play through. Oh, no. I noticed the CGI bees. That's funny. Actually, that's really interesting because I saw, which is the, small, the short one's Dean, right? Yes. Yeah. Dean had a welt on his forehead. I was like, that's clearly a bee sting. But where, but all these bees are CGI. So I assumed everything was CGI. So all for naught. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and this, this was the origin of the bee story, which is like one of the, the favorite stories when they would trot them out on the convention cir circuit, uh, the bee story so much so that it has its own entry in the supernatural wiki uh, was first told by Jensen at the 2006 Paley television panel. And it relates to the story of uh, the scene in bugs where they're in that attic. And Kim Manners, who is the director of this episode, showed his support by entering the 
room without a bee suit on to direct the scene. Uh, so Jensen, Jared and I responded well to him. He directed in a fashion that we really liked. It was a set where guys can be guys. Uh, he was not somebody who directed behind a screen or by telephone. And it was like, do it all over again. Let's close up and move to the next set. There was a scene where they had to get into this tiny little room with 65,000 bees. The whole camera crew and the set crew got full body bee outfits, but he decided that he wasn't going to wear a bee outfit because he his actors were... So anyway, this there's this whole bee anecdote where the director got in there with them without a bee suit and that formed this bond. And this was... He was actually one of their favorite directors. And when he passed on, there was a season of Supernatural that is actually dedicated to this guy uh, because of that relationship. Fans were thrilled when Jensen was persuaded to tell an extended version. Uh, in this version, he mentioned getting stung and how the bees kept pumping and pumping into his ass. <laughs> Oh, no. There is, I'm sure, audio out there where Jensen Ackles is talking about how the bees kept pumping his ass. So, yeah, so real bees, 65,000 of them, which I'm sure cost a shit ton of fucking money, didn't show up on camera. So they ended up having to go and blow their CGI budget on putting the bees in, which I am sure left them $0.0 <laughs> for those fucking spiders. So I think it feels like that was like, oh, no. We're just, ooh, we're going to do some Black Cauldron level of animation on these spiders. Which, uh, the Black Cauldron scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Everybody else died from the bugs super fucking quick. But when the literal bug apocalypse shows up, they're they're okay. Like And breaks through their barrier and swarms around them. They have like 30 minutes of just getting stung before the bees bug out because the sun comes up. True. So we cut to the next day. Larry says they're closing down the subdivision, that he's financially screwed, but now he has a bond with his son and that's priceless. Sam goes over and Matt's throwing out his bug stuff because he's creeped out by bugs now. Uh, Sam seems to have come around to finding their dad so he can apologize for being such a douche. And we close out on some brotherly banter as they hit the road. The, the moving truck with the 555 number, they're the DIY movers, the national moving experts. <laughs> you can only be one of those two things. You can either be the do-it-yourself movers or the national moving experts because it's just a cognitive uh, disconnect there. I, don't, I disagree. Of course you do. Who knows better how to move than yourself? Like, you're like, ah, please be careful with that. Professional movers. Who knows better than that than you? Pro professional movers. Movers who are professionals. I don't know. I've seen that episode Rugrats where they say Fragile is pronounced Fragile. That, that's uh, the Christmas story. Uh, is it Christmas story or is it Dumb and Dumber or is it uh, Zoolander? Oh, man. No, this was a Rugrats episode and it was... Fragile is definitely Christmas story is where I know it from. It must be Italian is what he said. <laughs> There's another wormhole to go down. How many times Fragile has been used as a running joke <laughs> throughout TV history? Normally at the end of the episodes, there's that, hey, we shared an experience and now I've got to hit the road again moment between Dean and whatever chick from the episode or Sam and whatever uh -huh. chick from the episode. Sam gets it with the son this episode. Stuart. Yeah, he gets it with Stuart. Uh, closing out the creepy uncle fucking uh, emotional moment that they needed. And for fucking some reason, there's the post credits buzzing sound effect that's added in at the end. That, again, I am pretty sure is one of the few times where they have like a credits effect throughout the entire fucking series. It was a really weird... Was it like a, oh, the bugs will be back kind of thing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't, like, it's just, just so fucking weird. So, not a great episode. Doesn't do, really do anything for the lore uh, except establish that Sam finally grocks to the fact that his dad wasn't as big of an asshole as he thought. And that's really all we get 
out of this one because um, none of the other stuff is is ever acknowledged other than a throwback a couple seasons later where they refer to this and how shitty the writing was in it. So unless you guys have something else that you want to hit on, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. And we're going to move into the homebrew portion. I've got kind of an idea for a monster. Does anybody else have anything on the docket for a homebrew monster item or encounter based off of this episode? I was just looking at swarms, but other than that, yeah, um, not really. Just a modified swarm. See, I, I like the idea of uh, bug elemental. Uh, I like that too. Because there's a lot of, there's swarm of insects, uh, swarm of centipedes, swarm of spiders, swarm of maggots, swarm of squarebs, swarm of rod gubs. Uh, and then you've got air elementals, water elementals, and earth elementals. I'm going to pull those up real quick and let's pick what we want to combine of those. I don't think earth elemental is going to really be appropriate, except maybe the tunneling aspect. And there are some really vicious swarms in Ravenloft. Mm -hmm. Let's actually, let's do this. Let's start with the elementals and hit on which kind of stat block we want to use. Air elemental to me seems like the most appropriate just because the amount of flying insects were in this. Yeah. Which gives it an AC 15, gives it a flying speed, uh, gives it a 14 strength, 20 dexterity, 14 con, 6 intelligence, 10 wisdom, and 6 charisma. Makes it resistance to lightning and thunder, which I'm going to say no, because we know clearly these guys are not resistance to lightning damage for sure. Right. <laughs> Books they, uh, but bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, I would say yes. They're immune to poison. I would also say no to that uh, because you could you could play up a bug spray element that I think it would be fun. I would also maybe give them a damage vulnerability to fire. Yeah. Yeah. Condition immunities, exhaustion, grappled, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned, prone, restrained, unconscious. I like all of those to keep it. Yeah. I think senses and everything stays the same. Air form, the elemental can enter a hostile creature's space and stop there. I like that. These guys have two multi-attacks, um, one of which, uh, Andrew, you'll be familiar with, the whirlwind, where it, when it's in your space, you must make a DC 13 strength saving throw. I don't I don't know that we use these attacks. I think we use the, the attributes and the form of it and the movement of it and then we pull the attacks from the swarms just really quick looking at the earth elemental it's got a burrowing speed which i would argue that we would give this guy 30 foot burrowing speed and then the water elemental we might talk about whelm for the water elemental we may come back to that so getting on the swarm of scarabs it's got the uh, swarm can occupy another space and vice versa, can move through any open area large enough for a tiny scarab, um, which I think we've seen these, this guy do. Uh, if the swarm starts its turn in the same space as a dead creature that's large or smaller, the corpse is destroyed, leaving behind only equipment or bones. Uh, it's got the ability is called skeletonize, which I think is... <laughs> Really shitty ability, but a cool one. Ravenous Bites. Here we go. Uh, melee weapon attack, plus four to hit. Reach zero. So this means they have to swarm onto you to do this. Mm. It's 46 piercing damage or 2d6. So with a lot of the swarms, and I think we would say with this elemental as well, their damage goes down as their hit points go down because it's them shrinking. Killing the bugs. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I like that one. I think we keep that aspect of it. Um, this is a 4d6. Um, if a target... Uh, if the target is a creature, the scarab burrows into its body and then it takes 1d6 piercing damage at the start of each of its turn. Ooh. It can then use an action to kill or remove the scarab with fire or with a weapon that deals piercing damage, causing one of the appropriate damage to itself. I like that. Yeah. I like the, I like the ravenous bites. Yeah. 
I think that's a little bit less shitty than the rot grub. The rot grub swarm, you uh, just get infected by 1d4 rot grubs at the start of each of the target's turn. It takes 1d6 damage per rot grub infesting it. Applying fire to the bite wound before the end of the target's next turn deals 1 damage to the target and kills the grubs. After this time, these rot grubs are too far under the skin to be burned. So there's a very small window of opportunity to burn those fuckers off before they burrow in. And that is just really kind of punitive to me. I like the scarab attack because you can pick it off at any point. You still get that sustained damage. You still have to do a little bit of damage to yourself to get it off, but it's not a total royal fuck you like the rot grubs are. Right. Yeah, I agree. You got Swarm of Maggots. Um, I like this one because uh, it's got the infestation ability. It does 4d4 piercing damage or reduced um, if it's lower. A creature damaged by this swarm has to succeed on a DC 12 saving throw or contract a disease, Mm. which goes to our mad cow. So each time the diseased creature finishes a long rest, roll a d6 to determine the disease's effect. One to two, the creature is blinded until it finishes a long rest. Three to four, their maximum hit points are decreased by five, and the reduction can't be removed until the disease ends. Or five to six, the creature has disadvantage on ability checks, uh, and the attack uh, rolls until it finishes its next long rest. Uh, It lasts until it's removed by magic, or until the creature has rolled the same random effect of the disease for two long rests in a row. So you you can get a status effect from a creature, and it'll it'll be gone, but you'll just constantly have to roll saving throws against it when you when you rest well this yeah that's what's weird about this one this is kind of this is kind of a weird one you don't see this a whole lot where it's it attacks you you get the dc 12 saving throw and then it actually doesn't kick in until you rest until you take a long rest and then it keeps popping up until you either get a cure disease cast on you or you get the same result twice you don't get another saving throw basically you've either got to get cured or you've got to keep rolling the same roll twice in a row which is a really weird kind of curse i'm pretty sure this one is actually a Ravenloft one, but I thought it was, I, I, I thought the random effect aspect of it was kind of cool. Yeah. But the, the long rest portion of it really is kind of shitty. Um, and I thought it was a cool callback to the, the Mad Cow, Mad Cow reference. Anthony, thoughts on that one? It doesn't seem like you're digging that one. Uh, I'm going back and forth. It's kind of depends on when you would encounter it, but it's, it, I mean, it's okay. It's Tomb of Annihilation has a effect like that in it. It's got like a, like a, it's like a fever of some kind, right? Like it's got a... Well, well, okay. Now, mind you, I've only played it once, so there may be many effects like that. <laughs> but there's in ours, there was a uh, uh, like a witch doctor lady uh, mm. who cursed one of our teammates, and every time he rest, he got a different ailment. Oh God, yeah, that's uh, that's shitty. Because at five e, the the rests are your are your save point in a lot in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, and. And and he could be healed with greater restoration, which none of us were high enough level to have. Yeah, no, greater <laughs> restoration is no joke. It is not. I mean, yeah. What is it? Fourth level, fifth level? It is. It's not a low level spell at all, man. Next up, we have Swarm of Spiders. They've got a, the Swarm ability, which is pretty consistent. This has got Spider Climb, which we've got our guy flying. This one, they have a, a bite that does uh, 44 piercing damage. There's really nothing special about this guy on the Swarm of Spiders. Uh, I thought he had a poison effect in here, but he does not. So we're going to move on. Oh, here we go. Centipedes. Um, centipedes, they have a bite. There's also does another 44 piercing. Um, here we go. A creature that's reduced to zero hit points by a Swarm of Centipedes 
is stable, but poisoned for one hour, even after that they regain their hit points and they're paralyzed while poisoned in this way. Mm. So here's one where if you get knocked out by it, even when you come back, you're still poisoned and paralyzed for an hour. It's a weird effect, man, Um, because, you know, I I guess if you were knocked to zero and then somebody healed you back up to bringing you back into combat, it would still keep you out of being brought back from that. I guess I can see where that would present the challenge, but it's a really weird, uh, really weird status effect in context. So you get you have to die from the the bite or do you can you just die from anything and then you're a creature reduced to zero hit points by a swarm of centipedes is is stable so you don't make death saving throws oh weird but is poisoned for one hour even after regaining hit points and unlike a lot of other poisons you're actually paralyzed while poisoned in this way which is the shittiest one of the shittiest statuses in D&D you're incapacitated which is a whole other separate condition you automatically fail strength and dexterity saving throws Mm -hmm. attack rolls against you have advantage and any hit that uh, happens on you is an automatic critical hit yeah Yeah. so it's it's uh, old person which is why jazz always tries old person (laughs) it's also any attack uh any melee attack i need to remember that because i'm pretty sure i've given you guys the auto crit on a whole person but it has to be a melee attack or you have to be within five feet of the creature i should say you don't have to it doesn't specifically have to be a melee attack but whatever but yeah incapacitated uh is got its whole extra level you can't do shit or move or speak So um, it really exists to knock you down to zero hit points and prevent you from being brought back easily in combat without an extra cure poison effect to it, which I think is neat mechanically. I don't know how much it brings particularly to this creature. Mm. So the regular old flat swarm of insects um, is that 44 damage again. The water elemental has got an ability. It's their recharge ability called Whelm, uh, where each creature in the elemental space must make a DC 15 strength saving throw on a failure. They take bludgeoning damage, uh, 2d8 plus 4. And if it's large or smaller, it's also grappled with an escape DC of 14. Until this grapple ends, the target is restrained and unable to breathe unless it can breathe water. If the saving throw is successful, the target's pushed out of the elemental space. Um, it can only grapple one or one creature to one large creature or two medium at a time. That's an extra fuck you. Um, and at the start of each turn, each target it's grappling takes another two d eight bludgeoning damage. And again, you can break out um, a creature with within five feet of the elemental can pull the other person out. I kind of like a spin on that for the smothering crush of of a swarm mm. you know what i mean I, I think i think we've got a good feel for the general physicality of it through the air elemental i think we grab the burrow from the earth elemental i like the scarab attack mechanic the maggot and centipede uh mechanics are are you know take it or leave it um but i also like kind of giving it a big whomping ability if we're because i mean if you think um all the elementals have that kind of recharge almost breath weapon mechanic um except for the earth elemental but he's just extra strong and is a siege monster um but the air elemental's got it the earth elemental's got it i didn't include fire elementals in here because i didn't think it was a good fit the only other monster i pulled from research was the uh the casmi is actually a demon that looks like a giant demonic a uh, mosquito um that has an attack that does uh, piercing damage plus necrotic damage um, and reduces their hit points until a greater restoration because it it just didn't feel good. Like if it, there was like a blood draw mosquito effect, that's why I originally pulled these guys up because they look like really shitty mosquitoes, but it's more of a necrotic kind of demonic effect than an actual blood drain. Yeah, I think the 
they were the earlier ones we said were better. I like the whelm as well, like modifying whelm yeah. to be kind of a yeah. crushing thing, like a crushing swell, like, like beetles and everything. You just you're buried up and they you got <laughs> bugs crawling into your mouth. There's a lot of really good fucking horror mm-hmm. kind of creepy elements that you can build into it. Harmless cockroaches making noises. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got neurotoxin all in your fucking mouth from those roaches. So cool that I think we've got this guy uh, book in the books then. We're going to go air elemental uh, stat block and form. Uh, we're going to pull the whelm attack from the water elemental, the burrow uh, attribute from the earth elemental. Uh, we're cool with the scarab being the primary attack. Did you guys want to use any of the maggot or the uh, centipede? I can take or leave those, quite frankly. No, no, mag- no maggot and centipede. They all, this, we would say this guy is vulnerable to fire. Yeah. They're going to be resistant to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks and immune to a bunch of conditions like exhaustion, paralyzed, grappled, stuff like that, because they can swarm, but they uh, are going to be, uh, have a damage vulnerability to fire, um, which means they'll take double damage. Maybe a boost to intelligence too. I think a lot of the ones we saw had really low intelligence, but they were chewing through and telling mm-hmm. in. No, that's true. They did take yeah. out the, the power oh lines here. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. These guys are all... They're all this. All elementals have the same five intelligence, ten wisdom, um, kind of deal. And I don't know if that's meant to have them acting instinctually. Swarms are, um, but we can boost them up to ten and ten. I mean, I think that's yeah, cool. Then we that's another monster in the books. It's I've started doing these in D and D Beyond. I realized as I was trying to do it and by God my way through kind of a custom formatting to mimic the layout of this. I went, wait a minute. I can just create them in D&D Beyond <laughs> and then share them out that way. And so um, it's it sped up my turnaround time for producing uh, these at the back end of the episode. Um, so uh, we will get this uh, we'll get this guy written up and published with our, what do you just call him, a uh, insect elemental or a life? I don't, a life elemental makes me think swamp. Yeah. Thing. So I think, I, and, I I think insect, insect elemental Insect yeah. elemental is what we'll Although insect isn't an element, but we'll, we'll get well, it. We, we, get we, it. We, we could go with swarm elemental. What about swarm elemental? Swarm, Swarm also was my favorite uh, villain from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Uh, and he was literally just an anthropomorphic swarm of bees. <laughs> but he talked in a really cool way, and he really fucked with Spider-Man a whole lot. So uh, that's uh, the, the, I will, the inspiration. So Swarm Elemental, uh, and we will get this guy posted. So, hey, that's another episode of the Ep- Hunter's Party in the books. It can only get better for here. Let me pull up what's the next episode. Supernatural episode nine is home. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, oh, this uh, this is a, so. Yeah, the next one is a ghost story where we head back to Kansas, and it, this one sets up a lot of stuff. I think the next one is really a does a lot of long term lore heavy lifting, and is I think our first appearance of. The Winchester's dad. So uh, tune in in a couple of weeks. We will have that up on the Patreon feed because, yes, this is bonus content for our incredibly generous, incredibly supportive, and always appreciative patron supporters. Thank you, Andrew, uh, Jamie, and Anthony for jumping in, helping uh, recap, review, and homebrew this episode of The Hunter's Party. Thanks again, and as always, hope you enjoyed the show.